Well, good afternoon, everybody. That was my first test that I actually said good afternoon and not good morning. So there we go. I reckon we should have an afternoon box, not a swear box, but an afternoon box. You can give all the money to Barnabas if you want. Oh, the Christmas appeal, that would be more appropriate. Um, so, yes, thank you so much, Sam. Um, it's a privilege to be able to share uh, with my church family because I get to do this a lot around and about Manchester and Greater Manchester. So to actually come and do it um, with my own family. So I'm really um, yeah, honoured to do that. So thank you, Sam. And... Um, yeah, so those of you who don't know me, because I have been around a long time, but also I keep meeting new people, which is really exciting. And uh, so I have been here for 20-odd years, and uh, yeah, no, you can't tell. Um, although I am older than San, and San last week admitted to everything was sagging. Is that right, San? Yeah? Turkey neck or something? I could sympathise, because I, when, I when I first came to this church, I had hair. Um, but not anymore. And Zoom makes me bald. That's the other thing I've discovered. Two years of Zoom, every time I look on Zoom, I'm like, I've got less hair than last time I was on here. So anyway, I'm not a fan of Zoom. Anyway, so um, yeah, my name's Neil, and um, I'm married to uh, Sarah, who you will find currently leading Game Changers. Uh, and been on, yeah, exactly. Has been on uh, staff here for a long time too. Uh, and I have three children who are not in the room now, so I can embarrass them because um, they've left, but Josh and Bethany are in youth, and Zach is in Game Changers. Um, being a secret agent today, he told me, before we left the house. I am being a secret agent, so yes, you will all uh, experience that later. But anyway, I won't give anything away. Um, so I'm going to be uh, diving into this series, um, Beautiful Jesus Is, and I love this because um, it's the best thing we can do, right, is to look at Jesus, and particularly when we've been in this season, um, is to keep our eyes on him. Um, so San asked me, um, would I share around um, Jesus' heart for the poor and Jesus' heart for uh, those who are on the edge of society, those who are vulnerable? Um, so yes, of course, I'd love to do that. That's, as you've just alluded to, it's one of my passions and one of the things that I feel the Lord's called me to. Um, so I'm going to talk about Jesus being the compassionate king. Um, but before I go any further, I think I'm going to pray just to focus us in. Yeah, so Jesus, I thank you that you are our perfect example, that you came to this earth to show us what it looks like to walk in perfect relationship with our Heavenly Father. So this afternoon, I just pray that we would um, hear from you. Um, Lord, I know I've got notes and I've got things I'm going to say, but ultimately, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would talk to our hearts, that you would shape us and change us for the better. And I just ask that in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So I'm going to start with Colossians 1, which is where we've been starting every week. Um, the sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Yeah, it's great, isn't it? Isn't it wonderful? Um, a quote that I love and I've been thinking about as we've been going through this series, it's a quote from Bill Johnson that says, Jesus is perfect theology. So, um, don't know whether you realise this, but you've been theological students for the past few weeks. Yeah, that's a little whoop from somewhere. Um, 
if theology is the study of God, therefore we need to study Jesus, which is obviously what we've been doing. If we want to know how God deals with something, what we should do, then look at Jesus. So that's why I really love this series. Um, so if we want to know how to respond to the poor or those who are vulnerable and needy, maybe the people who are not so well-liked in our society, if we want to know how God responds, then we've got to look at Jesus. The obvious, simple, uh, and yet even um, real reality of our faith. But it's also incredibly complicated. Simple on one hand, complicated on another. Um, so hopefully today I'm going to explore um, Jesus' heart of compassion, his heart for the poor, vulnerable, downtrodden and forgotten. Jesus is the living representation of the Father. So how Jesus deals with people is how the Father deals with people. So I'm focusing on how he cares for the poor today, but you can extrapolate that out. Um, and I'm thinking about those who are vulnerable or on the edges of society. And I've got, what, half an hour. I'm going to do a brushstroke over this. Um, you could probably do a, a whole series on its own just on this topic. Um, so I'm just going to give you some headlines, some of my thoughts and experiences. Uh, and I'm sure we'll come back to this uh, in weeks uh, and months in the future. So I want to, I've got four main things I want to say today. Uh, and the first of that is that Jesus had a reputation. Um, and it's a surprising reputation when you think about who he was. So in Mark 2, um, there's this great um, moment. So once again, this is from verse 13, come up on the screen. Um, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So it's really interesting, isn't it? The Pharisees were picking up on something that they thought Jesus shouldn't do or something. He shouldn't be around those people. Why is he hanging out with those people? He's got a reputation for hanging out with those people. They didn't pick up. They weren't po pointing out the miracles at this point. They weren't pointing out the teaching. They were offended by who he was hanging out with. The sinners and the tax collectors, the people who were not popular in their society. And he did not separate himself from the least and the lost, or what in the Pharisees' opinion was unclean, even the dishonest. He had proximity. He chose to associate with them to the point that he makes that then the focus of his attention. I think that's the love of a father, the perfect father, that he would look past their behavior and love them for who they are and who they could be, to the point that that was, in effect, damaging his reputation. You know, he was being lauded as a great religious teacher, a great man of faith. Was he the Messiah at this point? People were asking. And yet he was prepared to put that reputation on the floor and hang out with people. 
that he shouldn't have been hanging out with. So Jesus is compassionate in that way. He hangs out with people that maybe the religious don't like him hanging out with. So he had a reputation. And secondly, Jesus embodied compassion. As I've entitled this whole talk, you know, Jesus is the compassionate king. So the dictionary would define it, define compassion as pity or concern or to suffer with. I think that's good to start, but I see biblical compassion as shown by Jesus um, looking a little bit different. So I'm going to pick out a few passages here, a little bit of a whistle-stop tour um, of some of the passages um, that I see him acting in compassion. So Matthew 15, um, 32, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry or they may collapse on the way. Then he goes on and he feeds 5,000 with his miraculous multiplication of food. So he's moved with compassion and he meets the need. Matthew 9, 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he tells us, to pray for the workers because the people need help. Okay. Um, Matthew 14, 14, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. And Matthew 20, 34, Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and followed him. Now Santina did a great job last week of talking about Jesus as our healer and bringing healing. Um, but what I want to focus on here is that it was compassion. It was Jesus seeing a need and becoming the answer. And the answer was a miracle in this case, was healing. Uh, Mark 6, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. I find that really interesting. He had compassion, he saw a need, and then he taught so often, I don't, I don't know about you, but I often think about compassion as very practical. I'm going to feed someone, I'm going to break off a piece of bread, I'm going to give you some bread, I'm going to give you some clothes, I'm going to do something for you, I'm going to fix something. And in this instance, actually, compassion looked like teaching. He was telling people about the kingdom of heaven. So I think the way that Jesus models what I would describe as biblical compassion um, or true compassion is that we are moved to become the answer. It's what Jesus did. He had compassion for a person, uh, a people group, a situation, and then he became the answer for it. He didn't just point it out, oh, they're hungry, oh dear, what are we gonna do? Oh, that's really bad, maybe they should go home, just go home and get some food. And the disciples thought that, oh, we better send them away. Jesus is like, no, no, we're gonna, we're gonna take a boy's pack lunch and feed 5,000 people, as you do. Um, he became the answer. So he didn't just point out the lack or the problem, uh, and he didn't just feel sorry. And I think sometimes maybe that's, we can find ourselves in those situations thinking, oh, just, I feel really sorry. I mean, spend 10 minutes watching our wonderful news channels and you can feel overwhelmed and sorry and sad and pity and all the different emotions that can come through in all the different situations that we're presented with. Um, and that is a start, but it isn't what Jesus is modeling here in, in with his compassion. Um, 
he told them the good news and he became the good news in those situations. Um, sometimes it looked like a miracle. Sometimes it looked like feeding people. Sometimes it looked like teaching people. And that's how Jesus practically walked out this life of compassion, his reality of compassion with the people around him. And he didn't just do that kind of plucked out of nowhere. Um, and we can't, I'm, I'm obviously, I'm, we're looking at Jesus and we're looking at him representing God, but God himself announced himself to Moses back in the Old Testament as the compassionate God. So it's Exodus 34, verse 6, when he's passing in front of Moses himself, he proclaims and he announces, this is him talking about himself, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. So not only was he announcing himself as a, uh, a compassionate God to Moses, but this is a compassionate God forever. This is compassion worked out through the whole of history. And he could say that because he was going to become the answer to all of humanity's pain, suffering, and sin by taking on flesh in Jesus. And then Jesus taking all of that weight on his shoulders on the cross. The ultimate act of compassion that we have ever seen in human history was Jesus on the cross. God himself, God becoming man, taking on our sin, iniquity, pain, suffering, sorrow, as my wife would say, all the mad, bad and sad things in the world, putting it on Jesus and then we're all set free. Wow. The ultimate act of compassion. So, so God himself could announce that to Moses all those centuries before as he's compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness because he knew what he knew what this was going to look like centuries later. So Jesus embodied this compassion in the way that he walked the earth, in the way that he did life, in the people that he hung out with, the stories he told. I could go on, you know, we could talk about... Um, the man on the road, the robbing, and all of those kind of things. But what we're actually, uh, what he's demonstrating is the way that he interacts with these people is true compassion. Jesus becomes the answer to our problems. So thirdly, um, Jesus redefined true worship. I find it interesting, um, as Jesus discusses the end of the world, judgment day, what's coming, what's really important, and he talks about separate, separating, well, I can't say it, separating the sheep and the goats on judgment day. He references the good works that the sheep have done for the least, the lost, and the lonely. So Matthew 25, a very famous passage, but I just want to read that to you. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He'll put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and he came to visit me. 
Then the righteous will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and he gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and he gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and he did not invite me in. I needed clothes and he did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and he did not look after me. They will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. It's really stark, isn't it? It's a very challenging passage um, and very challenging teaching from Jesus. But the context comes as Jesus is talking about kingdom wisdom. What's important in the kingdom of heaven? How have you spent your life? Are you ready for Jesus' return? Were you fruitful in your life? And how did you treat those less fortunate than yourselves? And he cites the good works of his sheep, as it were, uh, how they visited those who were um, least lost, lonely, on the edges of society. And he equates that to worship. When you did it for them, you did it for me. Um, he doesn't talk about great church buildings in that thing. He doesn't talk about great worship songs. Not that there's anything wrong with great worship songs. And haven't we just had a wonderful worship set? But he talks about visiting people in prison, clothing people who need clothing, feeding the hungry. It's really important to him. I think it needs to be really important to us. So we see throughout the Bible, the challenge from God himself is that true worship or true fasting or true religious acts are all about how we treat those less fortunate than ourselves, about justice and mercy. <clears throat> so in Isaiah 58, we've got this um, uh, beautiful passage, um, the Lord speaking through Isaiah to his people. And um, there's a challenge going on here. Uh, and it's a big challenge that the Lord is basically pointing out to the people of Israel that they've got it wrong and they're not walking in the way that he wants them to be walking. So in Isaiah 58, uh, from verse 6, it says this, Is this the kind of fasting I have chosen, to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide, provide the poor wanderer with shelter, when you see the naked to clothe them and to not turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here I am. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness. Your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. 
Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets and dwellings. So again, the context of this is that the Lord is rebuking Israel, who in their religious activity are complaining that their prayers are not being answered. Uh, and they feel it's futile. And the Lord is just looking on them saying, you're doing it all wrong. You're doing it all wrong. So if you backtrack just before that passage that I've just read, they are asking, why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? To the Lord, or why have you humbled yourselves? We have humbled ourselves, sorry, and you have not noticed. And the Lord's response is on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. So there's a hypocrisy going on here. And um, the challenge the Lord was giving them is actually your religious activity, even your fasting, it looks good, but it's not true religious acts because there's injustice in your society you're exploiting workers you're not looking after those who are hungry or those who are without clothing or homeless um and i love the end of that passage that i read that um we become the light that the world needs we break through when we do those things um, and the Lord will answer our prayers and we become like springs whose waters never fail, well-watered gardens. We will re rebuild the ancient ruins. You're going to see lives transformed when we're pursuing the Lord in the way that he wants, when we're looking for justice and we're looking after the poor and we're feeding those who need feeding and we're housing those who need housing. Um, as you can probably tell, Isaiah 58 is one of my favourite passages and it's also a key passage over um, Barnabas um, as a charity in the city who look after those who are less fortunate than ourselves. Um, and that, um, that set of this is how we're going to worship is what keeps us focused um, day by day. Um, and I, I encourage you just to dive, dive into that and, and think on that. What does it look like for you to be fasting yet seeking justice, fasting yet seeking to help those who are less fortunate than you, worshipping in a way that impacts your city. And I'm not going to give you a 10-point thing, this is what you need to do. I just leave that with you and the Holy Spirit. But what is clear is God is calling out Israel's religious activity as being hollow. If they do all these apparently righteous things and yet their society is characterised by injustice and not caring for the poor or those who are homeless, then he's saying that their worship was unacceptable which is a massive challenge, isn't it? And we know, fast forward to when Jesus was walking the earth, he had the most harsh and um, cutting words for people, uh, for the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, the ones who set the laws, the ones who added to the laws, the ones who kept saying, you're not doing it right, kept pointing out to Jesus, why are you hanging out with the dirty people? Why are you hanging out with the sinners? And he says that they, their worship had become twisted because they didn't look after the poor. And he compares them to being whitewashed tombs in Matthew 23. It says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. So it's really clear that Jesus is challenging them about justice for their society and for the city. Um, 
I don't want to be a whitewashed tomb. I don't know about you, it doesn't sound great, does it? And uh, I want to be full of the living uh, Holy Spirit, and I want to be a person whose worship is um, true. And I'm not there there. I'm preaching to myself as much as I'm preaching to you. Uh, and I know that there are days when I'm, I am, I can be a whitewashed tomb, but I know that when we're pursuing these things, then we're doing the right things. We're doing what we should be doing. Um, and I always remember, oh, there he is. He's right at the back. I'm going to embarrass Mr. Bostock now. Um, I always remember having a conversation with Andy. I've done, me and Andy have done some form of homeless outreach or work for probably the best part of 20 years, I'd reckon. Um, and Andy's definitely one of my spiritual heroes. So if you ever get a chance, talk to Andy. Definitely talk to Andy. He's a great guy. Um, I always remember Andy telling me that his work colleagues asked him what he was doing on a Friday night once. And he was going out doing um, street outreach that we used to do here as a church um, with those who are in the homeless community. And I remember Andy telling me that his work colleague said, oh, yeah, of course, that's what you should be doing. You're a Christian. And I thought, yeah, that's right, isn't it? That's what we should be doing, something. Um, and I can tell you lots of things that we, we could be doing to help people who are homeless, and it's much more complex than I used to think it was. But we should be doing some stuff that brings justice, stuff that helps people less fortunate than ourselves. So just as Jesus models the Father, so as we do this, we're modelling our Heavenly Father to the world around us. I believe it's the key, one of the keys to our long, much longed-for revival. I've been around charismatic circles. We literally do have charismatic circles sometimes, don't we? Uh, for a long time, and we talk about revival a lot, uh, and it's good, and we want that. We want revival, and I want reformation. I want a society that's touched by Jesus in every level. And But I think one of the keys is how we look after those who are less fortunate than us, those who are poor, those who are on the edges of society, those who are in our prisons right now. Um, they get touched by Jesus. Wow, things are never going to be the same again. So it's true worship when we see prayers answered in this way and we will shine in the darkness when we bring that justice. So Jesus redefined worship. And then lastly, Jesus was healthy. So a lot of what we've just talked about is quite challenging, can feel overwhelming. Like I said, 10 minutes in front of the news channel, I'm overwhelmed, I don't know what to do. Um, so in my day-to-day -day life at Barnabas, we're working with people who are less fortunate ourselves, and it is super complex, really complex. We deal with people who have what's called multiple complex needs. That's mental health, addiction, um, debt, and other issues around their lives that means they end up homeless. So we've got to be really wise in how we help people. I believe compassionate people have to have good, healthy boundaries. We must be a boundary people. So in my world, we don't just give out everything as a handout. We believe in lifting people out of poverty. Um, you know, as, as the saying would go, give a man a fish or teach him how to fish. And we want to teach somebody how to fish in my world. Um, so compassion uh, and kindness does not always look like yes. Sometimes no is really powerful. Uh, and I look at Jesus, and sometimes this is the tension that we walk in, don't we, as Christians? Jesus says, don't walk by, don't leave people behind. But then, I don't know about you, but I walk around the city for 10 minutes and I walk by people. Um, I reconcile that, obviously, because of what I do in my job. But I know that's not the case for everybody else. And it's the most common question I get asked wherever I go is, what can I do? What can I do? Well, Jesus, interestingly, 
in John 5.19 said he only did what he saw the Father doing. So sometimes he would have said no, particularly when he was often a sign was demanded of him, and sometimes he would say no to that. He was often surrounded by crowds of people demanding miracles, demanding healings, and he'd focus in on one person. Um, in John 5, there's this great um, little account of the healing at the pool. I just want to read it to you. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the, la the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and he walked. I love that story. I love it. On many levels, it's a miracle. On many levels, he's dealing with somebody who the world around them would have looked down on. But this is it. Jesus empowered that person. He didn't say, oh, poor you. Or maybe, oh, or maybe oh, I'll help you. I'll pull you into the pool. Let's get ahead of the crowd. No. He said, get up. And even before that, he'd asked him, do you want to get well? I mean, it's kind of the obvious question. It's almost a little bit offensive. But then Jesus empowered people to, to take that step. So he, this instance, he said, get up. And other times he said, stretch out your hand or go to the priests and get checked out. He empowered people. He had boundaries. Um, he didn't, he could have been overwhelmed in that situation. There were loads of people wanting healing, but he, he prayed for one person. Well, in fact, in this case, he didn't even pray for him. He just told him to get up and he was healed. I love the other stories, particularly with the disciples, our wonderful bunch of disciples who made mistakes, who argued about who was the greatest, who called down fire on heaven, shall we, Jesus? You know, when they don't agree with us, we'll burn them up. And he's like, no, don't do that. But then when did Jesus say he saw Satan fall like lightning? When they went out and did the stuff. When they went out and um, cast out the demons and prayed for the sick. Jesus empowered them to go and do it. So we need to be a people who have great boundaries like Jesus and who empower others. We can't, we can't save everybody. Uh, I talk a lot about this in my work context. I tell people to take off their capes because a lot of people come and try and help us and volunteer with us and they want to save everybody. Only Jesus can save people. We can help the one in front of us or the one the Father is asking us to help, and that's good. And let's all, if we all do that, well, that's a few hundred people get helped if we all do that. So I'd encourage you in that. Be aware, obviously, I'm, this, I could do a whole other preach on this, but we're, you need to go and get your kids in a minute. And there's a Formula One race I need to watch. Um, so I'm not going to do that. But beware, we might get manipulated. You might get used and abused. It might happen. But Jesus is with you. He's telling us to turn the other cheek. And we need to turn the other cheek. But be aware of it. Don't let it, don't be a doormat. And there's a whole other preacher I could do on this. Um, again, have boundaries. What's the father asking you to do? You've got a family, a community around you who can help you do that uh, and bounce ideas off that. So we can't save everyone or anyone. Jesus can. 
and we'll be healthy if we do what we see the Father doing. So Jesus was healthy. He spent time with his Father on his own, and then he was empowered to do this stuff. So I'd encourage you to do that as well. So to conclude, you'll be pleased to know, kind of on time. So Jesus is the compassionate king. He had a reputation for hanging out with sinners, hanging out with the unclean, hanging out with the people on the edge of society. Jesus embodied compassion. His compassion looked like becoming the very answer to the needs that were being presented to him. Jesus defined worship as being marked by justice and mercy. And Jesus was healthy because he did what he saw the Father doing. And my final point is Jesus is compassionate to you and I. He is our compassionate king, showing us our compassionate heavenly father. I don't know about you, but I can recognize myself in those stories. I can recognize myself as somebody maybe on the edge of society, maybe somebody who's a bit sinful, a bit unclean. And Jesus loves me, died for me, changed my life. We were like the lost coin or the lost sheep or the lost son. The woman caught in the act of adultery, the unloved tax collector, the blind beggar, and so on. It's us. Jesus is compassionate to us. He's our perfect example, and he will empower us and equip us for this lifestyle of compassion. And I just encourage us, you know, as a community, we can do this. Keeping our eyes on Jesus, the perfect example, I believe the church us and the wider church, is the answer to the problems that society is facing because Jesus is the answer. I believe in community and compassion and justice and mercy. The mental health crisis, we have the answer. The loneliness that I I see every day in our homeless community, the church has the answer, and so on and so forth. So, yeah. Jesus, our compassionate, is the compassionate king, your compassionate king. I encourage you to just keep seeking him day in, day out. Amen? Amen. Do you want to stand? Let's just pray. I just want to pray two things, really. I think, first, if you just want to close your eyes and... um, Just in this moment, I'm just aware, I don't know everybody in the room, but Jesus does. So if you um, have never said yes to the compassionate King Jesus, I want to give you that opportunity this afternoon. So just with every eye closed, if you would like to do that, maybe for the first time, or maybe you're recommitting, do you want to just pop your hand in the air? I'd just love to pray for you. And then secondly, I'm going to pray that we would be a people who are commissioned to be a compassionate people following our compassionate king. So Jesus, I just stand here and we stand together and say we want to follow you, Jesus. We want to be your hands and feet. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you would come and commission us into the 
the workplaces, the schools, the mums and toddlers groups, the streets, the neighbourhoods of this city, the university campuses, and say, would we be your compassionate people, bringing your compassionate kingdom to the people around us? I pray that we would be a people that embody mercy and justice and kindness. And I pray, Holy Spirit, you'd show us what it looks like to follow you and do what we see the Father doing. And I just ask that in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.